Hi, and welcome to this episode of I've Got This Kid. I'm your host, Sharina Williams, licensed speech and language pathologist, homeschooling mom of two, wife of one, and proud podcaster. Happy to be here. 2021, whoop, whoop, we've made it to another year. Happy New Year's, world changers. Despite what's going on in the world, we got to continue to push forward. We got to continue to make progress. We have to stay positive. And honestly, we got to acknowledge when things feel kind of sticky. But I can honestly say that despite everything that's going on around us, I'm so proud of the progress made in 2020 with the podcast, with the questions being asked, with the topics covered, with the new connections made. It has been truly an honor serving you guys. And I am looking forward to this year because we're going to continue to grow. And that's because of you. And so, The stuff that you want to learn is the stuff I'm going to deliver to you guys. And being able to be a part of that makes me so humble, so proud, and so grateful. So for the month of January, let me tell you, we are going to be focusing on real issues. Last year, we focused on like a lot of content knowledge. I gave you a lot of speech and language lingo, just getting us all on the same page. So now we can really start getting into like the meat of things on how does this stuff apply to my world? Give me some guidance and what does this stuff mean? So again, we're going to be starting some different kind of conversations. And this week, today, we're going to be talking about the brain and the gut. And in past episodes, if you've listened to any of my past episodes, then you know, I have mentioned a few times, like your brain and your stomach have like a marital relationship that we're just really starting to uncover You know, researchers are now even saying that your gut is like your second brain. And you know what? After reading it and reading about it and working with it and understanding it and watching how the gut and what goes in there has an impact on my little sugar's brains, man, let me tell you, it was worth talking about. So that's what we're going to be discussing today. How does diet impact thinking, learning, and doing? Why? Because. What we eat impacts how we relate to the world. And you're going to find out why today. So again, what we put in our belly is fuel to our brain. So think about it like this. Every week, every few weeks, you take your car to the gas station, right? And you put what in your car? Gas. Why? Because the gas makes things go. And so you don't go to the gas station and put water in your tank. You don't go to the gas station and put sugar in your tank. That'll actually really ruin some things. You don't go to the gas station and put Gatorade in your tank. Why? Because it doesn't work with the system designed in your car, in the engine to make things go and do. And so what you want to do is make sure that gas is going into that tank. Ergo, when you start the car up, you can get out of there and hope that you'll get to your multiple destinations. And so the same holds true for our belly. The stuff that we put in our mouth that goes into our belly determines how our brain, i.e. our engine, will operate and how our engine, a.k.a. the brain, will send messages to the body. Mm-hmm. And as cool as I am, and I know I'm pretty cool, I'm corny, nerdy cool, but I'm pretty cool. And I'm telling you, I don't make this stuff up. And so I'm going to have to hit you guys with some research that backs this up. Eva Selhub, 
physician. She said, eating high quality foods that contain lots of vitamins, minerals, and antioxidants nourishes the brain and protects it from oxidative stress. Ooh, that's a $10 word. The waste free radicals produced when the body uses oxygen, which can damage cells. Mm. So the foods that we eat can get rid of the stuff that our body doesn't need and the stuff that our brain doesn't need, which sends messages throughout the body. Okay, thank you, Dr. Cell Hub, for that. Well, let's see what else she had to say. This one is mm. diets high in refined sugars, for example, are harmful to the brain. In addition to worsening your body's regulation of insulin, they also promote inflammation and oxidative stress. Inflammation, oxidative stress. That doesn't sound fun to me. Multiple studies have found a correlation between a diet high in refined sugars and impaired brain functions. And even a worsening of symptoms of mood disorders such as depression. Wait a minute. Tell me the day that you've ever heard the word impaired and something good going along with that. Not too often. And and did she also mention that your food can alter your mood, which can create depression? So when we went through the drive-thru or we went and we had that sugary snack, as good as it felt going in, when it goes and processes through our body and our brain takes what it needs from it and then it's getting nothing from it, it can make us depressed. OMG. Final quote. This is not from Dr. Selhub, but we do thank her for her information. This is from John Hopkins Med- Medical Center. Evidence that an irritation in the gastrointestinal system, that's where food gets processed in your gut, may send signals to the central nervous system that triggers mood changes. Your central nervous system, essentially, it, it controls everything in your body. But the fact that what we eat can have such an impact on the way that we feel and the way that we do, then we it's worth the argument for us to think about, well, what does this do to our sugars? But we're not going to quite go there um, quite yet. And, and so what's going on is when you eat, your gut provides your brain with the nutrients that it needs in order to thrive. And so we call these neural connections and these neural connections control everything that our body does. So like when they're talking about the central nervous system and all that stuff, all that stuff connects together. But this is all based on the stuff that goes in. My goodness, this is the craziest. Dr. McCarthy of Harvard Medicine says during the first two years of life are like scaffolding. Scaffolding is is a fancy way of like picking out things. It defines how the brain will work for the rest of a person's life. They're saying that the first two years of what we feed our sugar is the foundation of how they're going to think forever, how their brain is going to work together. Nerves grow and connect and get covered with myelin. And this is biology, a little bit of biology going back there. Creating the systems that decide how a child and the adult she or he becomes thinks and feels. So at two years old, one years old, coming out of the belly, when they're in the belly, all of that brain development, the food that we're giving our sugars during that time determines how their brain will operate. 
forever. And and this is crazy, right? Because we don't think about it because for one, our society doesn't really talk about it or they'll say, eat these foods because they're good for you, but they don't necessarily give you the why it's good for you and what it does when it's eaten. Then don't get me wrong, moderation, right? Moderation. Once every blue moon is probably okay, but if sugary processed foods are a frequent part of the diet, then OMG, we've got ourselves a problem. Because now we know that what we're eating has a direct impact on our learning, on our impulses, on our control, on our control, how we control ourselves, right? That's crazy. Our memory, the stuff we hold on to long and short term, our attention, how we pay attention to things, processing speed, and the ability to multitask and plan. Now, world changers, if you've listened to past episodes, Every last thing that I just listed there is something that has come up when we're dealing with diagnosis, when we're dealing with areas that our sugars may or may not need support. So basically what we're eating can help impact those things. But again, if we're not putting the right things in our gut, then the outcome can be something that we don't want and we can possibly be reinforcing or contributing to reinforcing something that we didn't even think or know could possibly occur with our sugar's brain and how it performs. And so now that we know that diet directly affects our brain's performance, you might be wondering by now, well, what in the world do I have to eat? And more importantly, what in the world should I be feeding my little sugar? Now, you heard me say moderation, right? I'm not saying don't eat a cookie. I love a good cookie every now and again. I'm just saying maybe we don't want the sugary cookie And maybe we want to, or if we do want that sugary cookie, maybe it's not every day. Maybe it's not the go-to snack. Maybe, you know, we have the sugary cookie once a week or once a month or every so often or the bag of chips every week, every month. You get what I'm getting at? Like if it's based on what your habit is, right? Because sometimes habits are hard to break and it has to be, it has to be something that works and is functional for you, something that works for you. And so if it's an everyday thing, slowly make it an every week thing. And if it's an every week thing, make it an every month thing and so forth and so on. Enjoy, but don't overindulge. But more importantly, that's my rant for the day. What do you need? A balanced diet. Balance means just what I was kind of talking about a second ago. Eat more of the good stuff, your fruits, your vegetables your nuts, your whole grain, your beans. They're providing those complex carbohydrates that are rich in proteins and vitamins and minerals. And and they nourish our brains and our other organs and also world changers. This, you know what, funny enough, this is not in my notes, but it just popped up in my head. Your perception is going to dictate how your sugars interact with the food that you introduce to them. So if you come to the table and you're introducing a food, but you have like skepticism on your face or you have failed them saying stuff like they don't eat vegetables. They don't like fruit. They don't like this. Presentation is everything. And if you're not presenting yourself in a way to where you've bought into that, this little sugar is going to eat this and this is going to be a part of your life, then a few things may need to happen. A, you might need to present it differently. B, you might need to present yourself differently and your approach. And what I I mean by like presenting yourself differently is, again, 
not failing your child or thinking that they're going to fail before they even try it or being super savvy about it and chopping it up and mixing different uh, vegetables into sauces. I know for our house, I had to go about things when they were little. They didn't know any different. They ate what I gave them. Right. Because they don't know. They have no idea. Right. But as they got they got older and more aware about foods that may not be that great for them and had access to that stuff, then, you know, we had a little tug of war. But then I had to reintroduce the way that different fruits and vegetables were presented. So again, I would chop up stuff and put it into all kinds of sauces. I'm using my food um, processor and mixing things together there. They had no clue what I was putting in their food half the time, but they would eat it and they would be happy. Um, And I was happy because I knew that they were getting more of what they needed and they were getting it presented to them in a way to where it was like, oh, I recognize this pasta sauce, so I'll eat that. Or I recognize this, so I'll eat that. Even when baking and things like that, trading out the sugars for honey or applesauce or different things like that. And just learning like the chemistry of food in a different way to where, yeah, you can still have this stuff, but you're just going to have it presented to you in a different way. We never had too many issues with fruit, but I did introduce smoothies and it was another way for me to hide vegetables in there that maybe they're not going to eat a whole plate full of. But this was another way to make sure that I was getting it in. Beans has already always been pretty easy. Like you can make beans a million different ways. And and most kids, I'm yet to meet the child who really does not like beans unless they have like a texture thing going on. But there's ways that you can take food that you love and still present it to your sugar in a way to where they will eat it. You don't have to wait until they get older. And you can totally debunk the myth that kids don't eat balanced diets because they do. It's again about how we present it and how we present ourselves. And also making it non-negotiable. But that's a different story. I'm not going to go there today. So, A, your balanced diet, how you present it. Two, I've already said this once, but I'm going to say it again. Limiting the sugary foods and the processed foods. Maybe you're not going through the drive throughs all the time. Maybe only every once in a while. Maybe instead of having fruit juice and fruit snacks and cookies and cakes, Maybe we trade out the juice for water with fruit in there. You could cut up pieces of fruit so you can still have the same like some kind of flavor, infused flavor, but without having the extra sugar along with it. Or you can go about it this way. My mom did this. My mom was like big on juice. I've never really liked juice, but she loves it. But when she was trying to go through the process of I want to drink more water, I want to drink less juice. She would pour like a quarter of the cup with juice and then the rest with water. And she just kept on to the point of where she was like, I don't even eat the juice anymore. This is silly. I'm just going to go with uh, straight water. But some people seriously need it. Even those those carbonated waters, carbonated waters sometimes help. They have lime, they have um, lemon. You even have little machines now that make it for you. So like those are ways to where you can have your drink and still have some flavor behind it. I know coffee is a big thing, not for the the sugar so much, um, but for the adults, I would keep them away from the sodas, the Coca-Colas, the Mountain Dew. There was a study some years ago. Oh my gosh, this was when I was in grad school. But I think the study came out even before then, a bunch of children who had drank unlimited amounts, consumed so much Mountain Dew. and 
not only it was like the outcomes were crazy. I don't even think that researchers at the time like understood like what soda was doing and this soda in particular, just because of the amount of sugar that was in there. Um, but the baby's teeth were rotting out. Their learning, their attention, their focus was impacted in class. Grades suffered. And so they had to like do a big campaign to kind of stop it and at least bring awareness. It's only through research do we become aware of the outcomes of the stuff that we do. But limiting those sugary foods, just making small exchanges. It doesn't have to be like a big, massive overhaul. Again, I still enjoy cookies and cakes and all of the fun stuff. And I was a cooking machine over this holiday, but I still made sure to like swap things out when I could. And I just don't eat like that all year long. I try to do other stuff, but just, you know, making those decisions to limit it, um, to enjoy it, but limit it. Three, reading our package ingredients. I think I, I haven't looked into this a lot, but I feel like the States, we have a very interesting relationship with our food. It's starting to become more back to like farm to table and starting to like understand the relationship. But I know that when I was growing up, most of the things that came from the grocery store came in a package. <laughs> now, granted, my grandma had like a full garden at our house. But like other than that, stuff came in a package and it's it's interesting because I don't ever remember reading what was in said package. And it wasn't until I learned a little bit more that I was like, hey, maybe I need to find out what is in there and started getting educated about what is supposed to be the main ingredients when I'm going and buying products. And so here's my general rule of thumb, world changers. When you're looking at these packages, the first five ingredients, do you recognize them? A, the first five ingredients. Is it mainly salt and sugar? The first five ingredients is the actual thing that the box is purporting that it, it, it has actually in the box. So like, for example, if you're getting a box of, I don't know why this is, this popped in my brain, tuna helper or hamburger helper, something like that. What do the package ingredients say? Read the package ingredients and that'll tell you what you're putting into your body. Because remember, go back to that gas station. What you put in your car is what's going to drive you around. So what you put in your stomach is what's going to get you around and think about it. We're not just thinking about learning, memory, cognition, attending, focusing, right? We're also thinking about walking. Hmm? That, that comes from your brain. Moving, decision making, all of those things, how our body ages, all of those things have to do with what we take a bite of and put into our body. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's why we want to read our package ingredients. If we don't recognize most of the stuff in there, dude, Google is amazing. Google it. Check it out. Dictionary, Merriam-Webster, anything just to get you more tooled up so you can be in the know because knowledge is everything. Like we want to know what is, is going in and we want to understand what's going in and what it does. It's like food chemistry. It, it, the real nerd comes out of me in that stuff. And this is another one, but this has nothing to do with food uh, about like what you can do playing outside, going outside to play. I am a big advocate for play. I go outside and play. There are hundreds of videos of me as an adult going outside to play because I'm probably just as big of a kid as my own kids, sometimes even a little bit more. But playing outside, it reduces the stressors. It promotes vitamin D when that sun is hitting you like all of these amazing things are going on. We don't need to sit in front of the TV and always 
be thinking and creating and doing. We could just go outside and play. And this decreases our stress so much and our anxiety to enhance our brain development. So thinking about it like this, if you have a crazy work schedule or sugar has and you're still balancing all of this COVID stuff, like the the responsibility doesn't stop, but how we handle it does. And so if we're just spending 20 minutes outside and just running about and playing and doing full and doing the fun and just having a great time, if that decreases our stress and our anxiety, not only does that make us better as world changers, it makes us better for our sugars. And that's what we want to do. We want to be the model for them, right? And so I know, I know some of you world changers are like, my sugar is a picky eater. What in the world do I do with my sugar? If they're a picky eater, they have an additional diagnosis and certain textures, certain foods, certain things. It just doesn't work for them. And I've tried. And so in those cases, when I am in clinic, I usually urge my world changers, try it this way. What do they eat? Let's start with what do they eat? And we take what they do eat and we modify from there and we play with it from there. And even with picky eaters, uh, I want to get clear on what I consider a picky eater. A picky eater is someone that you have probably introduced a food to at least a good seven times, not just one time. So I don't want you world changer to say, oh, my gosh, I tried this food this one time and they won't eat it. And I tried a bunch of other foods this one time and they won't eat it. Try it seven different times, seven different ways. And don't let that be the main thing on the plate. Give them a lot of what they love and just a little of what they don't. And try it and see what happens and keep trying it. And if you can't present it and it's just pure raw form, then mix it in. Get creative. There's so many different ways to make sure that little sugar is getting what they need, especially if you have a sugar who is a picky eater, who you know their brain needs different vitamins and nutrients in order to thrive, especially for our neurodivergent little sugars who we know need more of those omega-3s and those fattier foods, the nuts, the salmons and things like that. Like you're gonna have to find another way and just be super creative and don't get discouraged. Like remember, don't get discouraged in this. Just keep trying. Another question. What if I live in a food desert? Oh, goodness. This is this. mm, It frustrates me to tears that I can say the city that I live in is like two different cities. One side of the city, there are grocery stores and farmers markets and all of these things that are available. And in other parts of the cities, there is barely a grocery store and the grocery stores that are there. The fruit, the fruit and the vegetable, the produce presentation is not quite the same. That's how I'll put that. And so it's frustrating and I'm not going to go on that rant today, but I will say that more available now are food delivery programs. Um, Some of them even have sliding scales based on your salary, your income of the house. And they have like Imperfect Foods. They have all kinds of different programs. That's the first one that came in my mind. No, I am not getting paid. I am not an affiliate, nothing like that. But I am saying that they have produce available that looks like it came from the farm, um, closer to that. It looks more attractive, more appealing, which can definitely have an impact on how sugar interprets, do they want to eat this or not? If it doesn't look that good and it doesn't smell that good and there's a bunch of bugs flying around it, that's not appealing. And so we want to make sure that, you know, the food looks appealing for not only them, for us as well. 
And so checking out new food delivery programs, seeing what local farms have has to offer, even partnering up with local farms. They have it now where some farms have relationship with their community. Um, And this could be like within an hour of where you live to where you can have access to much better produce offerings than what is in the neighborhood. Another thing you can do is take a monthly trip to places that aren't food deserts and just stock up, freeze it, preserve it, because it's just like going to the store and buying a bag of frozen vegetables or frozen fruits or frozen whatever's a bag of Ziplocs and a, a good cutting party and you can have fresh produce. So that's another way that you can avoid that. Growing food at home, creating a small garden, no matter where you live. I have seen patio gardens. I have seen people who do like, what do they call them? Like the little pot, soil pot gardens and have full access at home. It's it's pretty easy if you have a green thumb. And if you don't, a lot of local colleges and universities now even have programs that will show you how to create farms and different co-ops within your community to where access becomes available. Because this is one of those things to where we have to be extremely proactive to make sure that our sugars, we're advocating for our sugars in a way to where they have access to foods that are going to fuel their brain and their body appropriately for the rest of their lives. At the very least, we can create opportunities within all communities. And the final thing is joining a local cooperative. They have them out there. You do have to search for them in some cases. Some are a little bit more prevalent than others. And there's been a lot of successful cooperatives that come into places that are food deserts or where there's not as much access to good produce and not just good produce, affordable produce, right? That we're not spending $100 on just produce without the other food groups. So making sure that it's accessible and affordable. And so we can do these things to make sure that our sugars are getting a fair shot across the board, no matter where they live, no matter what the socioeconomic background is, we have to make sure that our sugars have a fair chance. You can tell I get passionate about this stuff. I get so frustrated because, but anyway, why am I going through all this? Because my sugars who have special needs, who are neurodivergent, whose neurodevelopment is wired differently than their other peers, they cannot have the luxury of not having a proper balanced diet. And for these sugars who have to fight so much harder to make progress and to maximize potential and to meet goals, giving them a balanced diet, it totally optimizes their chances to having stronger cognitive development and for undoing a lot of these gaps in their milestone development. And so we just want to make sure that we're doing our best, that we're getting educated as to why. If we know that neurotypical people can suffer from depression and their moods can change and thinking and learning becomes harder for them when they have an unbalanced diet. What more is happening to our sugars who have to fight so hard for so much? So world changers, I want you to be mindful about this stuff. Get intentional, get out there, do your best, ask questions, ask me questions. You can always reach me at questions at I've got this Remember, there's no such thing as a silly question just an unanswered question. And I want us to start this year off right by feeding our bodies the way that they should be fed, providing ourselves life and strength 
and good mental health, especially with everything that's going on around us. There's a lot going on. And so we need to find the best ways to de-stress and optimize our brain performance, our brain functioning, and that comes with what we put in our mouth. If you want more information about seeking a licensed speech and language pathologist, visit www.asha.org or visit your local speech and language association. Keep sending in your questions and tune in next week where we're going to discuss navigating insurance. Let's talk access to services. I can't wait to tackle this topic because OMG, right? Every article that I mentioned today, it will be in the show notes. It's a click away. You guys know, I'll say it. I'm not a plagiarist. I'm not a plagiarist. So (laughs) go ahead and check that out. And until next week, world changers, take care.